In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Many of you are familiar with the story of the Reformation, that Martin Luther, a sincere man, became a monk in order to find God's favor through works and prayers and his own efforts. But he discovered through reading the scriptures, the gospel, that Jesus Christ, while we were yet sinners and hateful to him, gave himself to agony and death that we might be declared acceptable to God, receive his righteousness and eternal life, and all this through faith. This was the core, the mainspring, the central idea, the bottom line of the Christian faith, which had become obscured by many human ideas, traditions, claims, deceptions, and even exploitations from those who would make money out of the soul's need for security and wholeness. One of these exploitations of people's spiritual needs was the practice and sale of indulgences. Originally, when you confessed a sin to the pastor, say, breaking a pot or such, you would be asked to make it right by replacing that pot, and the pot owner could be satisfied by a payment of the pot's price. But many sins could not be so easily satisfied. Cursing an unknown stranger, for example, could not be satisfied if you couldn't identify the person who had been so offended. So the practice arose of selling certificates to be used in confession to cover or satisfy these irreparable sins. And they sold greatly especially during the Crusades, when you could pay a substitute to go fight in the Holy Land in your own place. And the effect of this and other practices was to obscure the gospel, the truth that the Son of God paid what we could not to reconcile us to God. So Luther drew up 95 theses, points to debate, to clarify the issues, to show how the sale, even the concept of indulgences, belies, gives the lie to the gospel. He posted them on October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, which has become our Halloween, the day before All Saints' Day, and they became famous overnight. Soon all Europe was demanding reform and a return to the gospel truth. Later on, when asked about how he started the Reformation, Luther replied, The Word did it. Melanchthon and I were just sitting in Wittenberg, drinking our beer after a day's teaching in the university, while out in the world God's Word was changing hearts and minds to reform His church. If we are to be authentically Lutheran, we must not celebrate the person of Luther, but like him, point to God's word. That is the message that changes hearts, beginning with our own. Now it struck me that the epistle for this day, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 13, could have been written by Luther himself. 
I'll change just one place name and you can imagine Luther saying the words of our text. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at the diet of worms, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Thus far our text. Now since Luther's Reformation was in many ways a reassertion of St. Paul's emphasis on the grace of God, it is well for us to consider on our celebration of the Reformation, Paul's words. Speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now in the first place, this means that we do not tell lies about God. For we are tempted to tell others what they want to hear, especially about God. People don't want to hear that what they're doing is wrong. People don't want to hear that there is an eternal punishment for those who refuse God. So we avoid telling them the truth to avoid disapproval or worse. Because telling the truth can lead to persecution. And so we are tempted to tell others what they want to hear. Others tell others what they want to hear to manipulate and wheedle. Oh, there are some in the religious field who are very good at manipulating your feelings and emotions to get you to give to their particular ministry or cause. Now that's for the hypocrites, those who know that they're saying what's wrong. But there are others who tell lies about God without knowing it. 
And we too are tempted to speak what is in our hearts or in our conscience as the word of God. The only problem is that unless your heart has been steeped in the word of God, unless your conscience has been formed by right instruction, our hearts are deceived. Few things are more deceptive than the heart and its desires. Freud was wrong about many things, but he was right about what is in the unconscious or subconscious of the human mind. It's full of conflicting and self-centered desires. And so our hearts are often deceived about the truth. And unless tempered by God's word, we may easily preach a self-centered lie instead of the God-centered truth. And in the same way, our conscience may be malformed. I recently read the autobiography of the great Apache chief Geronimo. Geronimo killed whites because other whites had killed his family. And so other whites killed Indians because Geronimo had killed whites. Each thought that he was being loyal to his group and doing what was right and brave and courageous. But of course, a lot of innocent people died in this circle of violence. Many stories told of an American or a British man who for five years or so hated the Germans and fought the Japanese and then when peace was declared they couldn't get over it. They wanted to keep attacking every Jap or German that they met. So our conscience is often uninformed or even malformed telling us that right things are wrong and wrong things are right. Some will appeal to the church, the people of God or her traditions for guidance in these questions. But unless the church herself is accountable to the word of God and those who have experience in the world, we can err in this regard. That was the case of the church in Luther's day. Many people recognized the sinful desire of the human heart, the need to form the conscience correctly. But the appeal to the people of God as a standard for God's message was misformed. If we are to speak the truth, then we are to get the message right. And even that's not a simple matter, for we can get many things right and still misrepresent God's word. I once saw a child's drawing which showed parts of the body drawn exceptionally well, except that the head was out of place. The head was where the shoulder should have been. And so the whole drawing looked deformed. And that's an analogy with the medieval church, which had all the right pieces of Christian teaching, but the gospel was out of place. And when Luther called for reforms and pointed to the gospel, some thought that it was simply a matter of eliminating Catholic practices and teachings. And they went so far as to eliminate parts of the gospel itself. And that's an unfortunate part of the Reformation heritage. For the Reformed and Presbyterians deny that Christ is truly present in the Holy Supper of the Lord, though it is part of the gospel. Baptists deny the regenerating power of holy baptism, though it is clearly taught in the scriptures. Many did not deny the divine ministry because it's undemocratic and un-American, although Christ himself had appointed leaders in his church. Now we can think we've got it right, and yet people don't hear what we're saying. 
I remember once when I was yelling at one of my children to get ready for school. I thought to emphasize the point by raising my voice. I talked to her about it years later. And you know what she was thinking at the time? Boy, Dad, is he really angry. She wasn't thinking about getting ready for school at all. What I thought would emphasize the point, she found a big distraction. And I'm sure this is true with our attempts to reach other people with the gospel of Christ. The message that we think we're conveying is not coming through. Do you know what message many people take away from their church experience? All they want is money. How do they get that impression? How can you go to church year in, year out, hear about the gospel of Jesus and get the impression the church is only interested in money? Here's why. Because the only time a fellow church member got up close and personal to you was to ask you for a pledge. If we're not getting up close and personal to people in their times of need to share Jesus Christ, we may not be conveying that message the way we think we are. Now the church is always in need of reformation. Not that it always needs changing. That unfortunately has become a slogan for some of the liberal churches which claim that God is, is speaking through history and therefore we've got to change and keep up with the times. No, the church is always in need of reformation because we are always changing without realizing it. And so we have to go back to the source, to the scriptures. We have to examine ourselves and ask what messages we are sending and make sure that it's the authentic message we find in God's word. As in family or work, we have to ask ourselves, what are we really saying to our spouse, our children, our workers? So we as a church have to ask ourselves, what are we really saying to the world outside and to our members? And here is the crucial question, is Christ at the center? For if Christ is not at the center of our message, our activities, our program, our church, then we are malformed, more ugly than that child's drawing I described for you, and as in need of reform as the medieval church in which Luther did his work. So we need to ask ourselves, do the things that we do in this congregation point to Christ and lead people to Christ? Or do they distract from Christ and lead people away from Christ? It's not that the things we do in and of themselves are good or bad. But how are they organized? Is Christ at the center? And once we get that message right, the third thing is not to belie God's message. Now to belie means to show that we think the message is not true. It's like when someone says, Oh, have some of my newly baked cookies. Then you make a face and go, you're belying that message. Paul says we are to act to please God who tests our hearts. Paul was sincere. Luther was sincere. They had faced danger. They made tough decisions. And without obvious persecution in our community, we can easily fool ourselves into thinking we're sincere. When in fact we're not. King David is the famous example of a godly person who in a time of ease and security fell into sin when he sinned with Bathsheba. And we can learn from him to pray for a clean heart. 
that we not deceive ourselves into thinking that all is right when in fact we're on the verge of falling into sin and temptation, living to please ourselves rather than to please our God. For our living can belie God's message. Do we speak of his forgiveness but fail to forgive others? Do we admire sacrificial giving but find it difficult to be generous ourselves? Do we speak of a God who welcomes sinners but remain judgmental and even cynical about the sinners that we meet in our life? Beware of two sins, my friends. There's the denial of the sin you can see which we often do for family or friends or others and even ourselves and the judging of the heart that you cannot see what which we often indulge in towards other people that we don't happen to like or love. St. Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God gets the glory, the praise, and we do the walk. As we walk, we are invited to look back to St. Paul and Martin Luther and rejoice in the word that sustained them and did remarkable things in the world. We're invited to look forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who accepts us by grace and sustains us on our way and has promised to come and make all things right. And in the meantime, his word is active in our hearts and enables us to speak the words in life and in worship which are pleasing to him. May the word of Christ which dwells in you keep you until the day of his coming. Amen. Amen.